Then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Good morning again, everyone. The uh, text that was read that you saw on the screen is, will make up the entirety of what I want to say to you today. And uh, as, as we start it, what, what Jesus is basically saying is that uh, what I'm going to tell you is what my father would tell you if he were here. And he's saying, you need to trust me. You need to trust me. Because there's some things coming in your life that you will need me for. You will need me. There were some in that day, and there's still some today, that want more than what Jesus offered as proof of who he was and why people should trust him. Why people should believe in him. As a matter of fact, they said, show us a sign. Give us a sign. Show us something stupendous. Show us something in the heavens. Show us something that we had never seen before in our lives. Show us something that will overwhelm us and make us believe that you are who you claim to be and that we can trust you. Right? Matter of fact, there were two occasions that we know of. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, Matthew 16, verse 1, where they came to Jesus seeking a sign. Show us a sign. And you know what Jesus said? He said, there will no sign be given you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, before that, in addition to that, he said he called them an adulterous and sinful generation. They were sinning and asking for a sign. And the reason is that all the information they needed about Jesus came from the scriptures. And their whole life was surrounded by the scriptures. So he said, for instance, in John chapter 5, verse 39, he said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. So that's what they needed. And the problem was they weren't doing it. They were not searching the scriptures. They were looking for something else, some other demonstrable proof. Now, it's extremely difficult. Let's just start this out the way we should. Jesus is saying, trust me, I'm telling you what my Father told me. So basically saying, if you trust God, the Father, trust me, right? And then he continues on. He said, because I'm telling you like it is, telling you the truth. Okay, Psalms 116 tells us this. All men are liars. 
Have you ever read that? All men are liars. So that means that it's extremely difficult for us to trust a person's word. You know that, and I know that. How can you tell when a person is telling you the truth and getting it straight? Now, that's the problem these people are having, and that may may be the problem you're having. Is Jesus telling you the truth? That's the point. It is dangerous to trust another person with our future. Absolutely is. It's dangerous. We, we uh, sometimes will trust people and we shouldn't because we are gullible, right? We're gullible. Uh, we're we're uh, naive. We, we just don't understand what's going on. I'm going to give you a, a, tell you a story from my own life. And you've probably heard stories like this before. I haven't told this before, basically in public. I've talked to some people in private about it. But when I was a young preacher in my early 20s, Southern California, Bonnie and I were just starting our family and I was preaching. And uh, I had a friend who preached nearby and he was, he was a, a good, powerful young man maybe a couple of years older than me, we became good friends. After a while, we separated company, but we uh, tried to stay in touch, but it it was kind of difficult because he went to another part of the country, another part of the United States, and I came, went to Northern California, then eventually came up here. Uh, This man and his wife called me one day. He was in town and asked me to come meet with him. So Bonnie and I came and met with him and his wife at a restaurant and had a meal. During that meal, he tried to enlist me in a, in a project uh, selling oil that was trapped in shale in the Ohio Valley, selling shares. And he wanted me to get involved in it because other preachers in the Churches of Christ we're doing the same thing. Now that was before fracking. You know what fracking is? Well, we know what it is now. That was before fracking came into existence. As we talked, I said, uh, and his name was David. I'll give you his first name. I said, David, uh, are you are you licensed to sell shares in that kind of venture across state lines? Has the SEC authorized this? Do you have any documentation for that? He said, uh, he said, no, he said, we don't need that. And I said, wait a minute, have you done your due diligence? Are you sure you don't need that? He said, the, the brightest minds in the brotherhood have assured me, the greatest legal minds of the brotherhood have assured me that it's legal. Well, I didn't believe it, and I did a little more research and even though my, I'm not the brightest legal mind in the brotherhood, I knew it wasn't right. <laughs> anyway, the tragedy was, he continued this, and I talked to some other fellow preachers that he had approached, and they asked my advice, and I gave them the same advice at that time that I gave him. I said, the SEC has to approve it. You can't sell shares in something across the state lines without their approval. You have to be 
everything has to be in order, and he doesn't have that in order. Well, I don't know what they did. I really don't know. I didn't track them. I don't know. He wanted me to get involved and then sell to you, basically. You know what the upshot of it was? David went to prison. A bright young preacher in his midlife, he was in his 40s when he and I met here, bright young man went to prison. He's now dead and his wife is dead. He trusted someone that he shouldn't have trusted. And it cost him his fortune, his reputation, and his life. Now, we can multiply stories like that, can't we? From your own knowledge, and maybe from your own experience, where people were duped, they were conned, and they were left penniless, and in desperate circumstances, maybe not this desperate, but in some, in each scenario, there was a confidence man or a confidence woman who asked for trust and then ultimately betrayed them. The point is, they said, trust me. And I said, I can't trust you. He said, okay, trust the greatest legal minds of brotherhood. And I said, I can't trust them. The problem was the matter of trust. What, who would I trust with my future? That's, that's the point. It brings us to our point. We live, all of us, we live in a state of faith. We don't see things that God has prepared for us. We don't see things that are going on around us that are in the evil area. We don't, we don't see the things that God has taken care of us, basically, for us. We don't see all these things with our physical eye. But we, by faith, we live by faith. And so we have a life of faith. People come along to us and say, look, if you believe, do you believe in God? And we say, yes. And they say, well, why? And our only answer is because of faith. We believe in God. We believe in what God has told us. We believe in the scriptures because that's the basis of our faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God and by the gospel of Christ. So we believe in God. Our whole life is a life of faith. It's a life of trust. We trust Jesus. We trust him because we believe in him. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. Everything you do, my friend, every hour of every day that you live, you live by faith. You, you don't live like people in the world. You do not. You do not live by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. You walk by faith because you have placed your confidence, your whole confidence in a man called Jesus by faith. You're walking by faith. Hebrews 10.38 says, The just shall live by faith. You don't live like people in the world. You, you, you're not controlled by the elements of this world. You're not controlled by the societies of this world. You're controlled by Jesus Christ by faith. That's who guides you and directs you day in and day out. And the warning is given in Hebrews chapter 3.12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. How do you depart from God? 
You have a relationship with God. A daily relationship with God. You talk to Him every day. He talks to you every day. Everything you do is based upon how what you think He thinks you should be doing. Is that correct? That's by faith. You're walking by faith. Now, take heed, brethren, lest be, there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Your relationship with God, whether it's cordial or personal or intimate, your relationship with God is based solely upon the fact that you believe and trust Jesus Christ. That's it. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, We're justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there are three things that come to mind when we talk about trusting God. At least come to my mind. I hope you have the same thoughts that I do. These are basic concepts that are absolutely necessary to have a cordial, personal, or intimate relationship with God. The first is, we believe that God sent His Son to this earth to represent Him. The Father sent His Son down to represent Himself. Okay, John 14, verse 9. You know, Philip asked the question, he said, Show us the Father and it will, it will suffice us, it will satisfy us. Jesus said, Have you been so long with me, Philip? Have you been so long with me? Have you not seen the Father? How do you say to me, show us the Father? So Jesus is saying, if you want to see my Father, look at me. We have to believe that. That's our life. We have to believe that. That Jesus is the picture, is the representation, absolutely, emphatically, entirely of the Father. Secondly, we have to believe that Jesus told the truth. Always told the truth. And he told all the truth that we need to hear. He told us everything we need to know. We don't need to know anything else to get out of this world. And that's the third point. Jesus came to get us out. He came to save us. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So we know he's telling the truth. Always. Never told anything that wasn't the truth. Always told the truth. Can you say that? I can't. I know I've told, told lies at times. All men are liars, Psalm 116. All men are liars. Well, I was too. But I hopefully I've been redeemed by Jesus. The third point is, Jesus said, I came to save the world. Now, He didn't come to change the world. That's where we make a big mistake. He came to get us out of it. Not to make it a better place for us to live. That ship sailed. That was Eden. It's gone. We're on a sinking ship. We're not on a rising star. We're on a planet that's dying. And a planet that one day will go down in a ball of fire. And Jesus came to get us off of it. That's what he came to do. John 3, 16, 17. We know the text, don't we? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Let's look at those three points. First of all, why should I trust Jesus? 
Why should I believe anything he has to say? Why should I put any confidence in him? Why should I put any stock in what Jesus said? Because he's representing the Father. Because he says, you know, like the young man David said, the greatest legal minds. Well, Jesus didn't say that. He said, my Father. If you want, if you, if you don't believe me, believe my Father because he sent me. Believe my Father. Jesus said that he represented the Father. And, and the Father expects us to trust his Son. Now, Jesus was introduced initially by John the Baptist. John 5, verse 33, he, he said, You sent unto John, and he bear witness of me. So John the Baptist came along and said, There's someone coming greater than me. I can't even tie his shoes. He's greater than me. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Anyway, the idea was the kingdom was coming and John was saying, here's the one coming that has something to tell you about. But he was introduced by John. And then you remember the woman at the well at Samaria? You remember her? Jesus was thirsty. He asked the woman for water. They got into a little bit of a controversy, didn't they? She said, why are you asking me for water? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Anyway, they got into that and then it says, the woman said unto him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he has come, he'll tell us all things. You know what Jesus said? I that speak unto you am he. I'm him. I'm the one. She said, I know one's coming that's going to talk to us. And Jesus said, I'm him. I'm the one. At the pool in Jerusalem called Bethesda, I think is the name of it, there was a lame man there and and the account is in John chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. And Jesus healed the lame man. And he told the man, it was on the Sabbath day. A little aside on this thing, by the way. We know that there's a lot of controversy going on on the Sabbath day. Every time Jesus healed someone, he did it on the Sabbath day because they were gathered together in the synagogues reading the scriptures. And, and people knew where he would be on the Sabbath day. And so they, they came in with their sick people. The caregivers brought their wounded and sick and, and ailed, ailing, brought them to Jesus and asked him to have mercy and heal them. That was on the Sabbath day in the synagogues. Jesus did it and all of a sudden it raised all sorts of problems. You can't heal on the Sabbath day. It's not right. You can't work on the Sabbath. The Jews, the Jews worked this out, by the way. They worked it out. Well, Jesus told them, he said, which one of you haven't an ass or a, or, or a sheep or a cow down in the ditch on the Sabbath day, you won't get him out. Well, they would. But further than that, there, there was a, a, a concept among the, the Jews that they couldn't work on the Sabbath day. Now, they didn't understand that what God was telling them was, you don't have to follow your occupation and try to learn a, earn a living because I will take care of you. I will give you twice as much on Friday to take you over. You don't have to worry about Saturday, harvesting, planting, etc. I'll give you enough. Don't follow your occupation. Basically, that was it. So the Jews kind of got around that. They said, okay, we can't, but maybe we could hire somebody to do it for us. And they did. And even today, there's a, there's a term that's used that's called Shabbat Goye. G-O-E-E, basically. It's a word in, from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew, which means Gentile. 
a Sabbath Gentile that could work on the Sabbath for me. So they kept them working. They got the, they got the Gentiles to work for them, so they didn't have to. But they, th- they thought, these are good guys. We'll call them Sabbath Gentiles. So they could work. Anyway, this man who had been lame from his, from, for years and years and years from his birth, I assume, he got up and Jesus said, pick up your pallet and go home. Walk. And so it says, the Jews persecuted Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 16. And they sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, my father works hitherto. My father does the same thing I do. Who do you suppose took care of them on the Sabbath day? Who supposed was working for them on the Sabbath day so they didn't have to work? Well, you got it. God was working for them. He's taking care of them. They didn't have to work because he was. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but also said that here's what they bothered them. He said God was his father. That's what Jesus said. He's my father, and I'm telling you what he told me to tell you. So when someone says, well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to buy this used car. All right. Is it, is it good? Sure it is. Ask my cousin John. He'll tell you it's a good car. So John says, sure, it's a good car. Then you drive it for a month or so and it breaks down. Because John really wasn't a good source of information. He, would, he probably held, held something back just like the sellers held something back. You see my point? What good does it do to verify something by someone else who isn't any more trustworthy than the person that's talking to you? Well, God is the one who said it. And Jesus said, I am his son. Therefore, what I'm saying is what he's saying. Now, during an interchange with some of the Jews, in John chapter 5, verse 58 and 59, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. You know what he's saying? I am God. That's the very expression that was used in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses was at the burning bush and he asked, Who, who shall I say sent me? And he said, tell them I am that I am. Well, they knew that, didn't they? And all of a sudden, when he said that, and Jesus made this statement, he said, my father works hitherto in our work, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So my friend, Jesus is saying, what I'm telling you is exactly what my father would tell you. I am his son. Now, during his interrogation by the chief priest in the Sanhedrin, in, in uh, Mark chapter 14, now they, they, they did a lot and said a lot, tried, tried to accuse Jesus of a lot of things while they were trying to put him to death. And it said uh, he held his peace. He wouldn't say anything. He wouldn't reply to them. It would, wouldn't do any good. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? You know what Jesus said? I am. He is the Son of God. If we build our life of faith, the very first thing we have to do is to believe 
that Jesus is the Son of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Next, God has asked us to trust Jesus implicitly. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Trust him implicitly. Why? Because everything he tells you to do is right. It's truth. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus made this statement. And it kind of escapes us sometimes, but basically it's a tremendous statement. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. You couldn't say that. I couldn't say that. We stand up in a court of law at the most important and probably serious times of our lives when we're asked to be called upon for testimony. And the judge sometimes, not ordinarily anymore, would have you lay your hand on the Bible. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. Do you know what you're saying? Do you know what you're saying? You're saying, if God were here himself, he'd say the same thing I'm saying. Whoa. Wait a minute. You're committing God to what you're saying. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, I'll, I'll tell the truth. But I won't, I won't make an oath that commits God to it. Now that's why basically Jesus said not to, not to swear by an oath. Don't take an oath. What can you do? How, how can you do something like that? How can you make an oath and commit someone else to what you're saying? Well, I, I'll t- I'm telling you the truth. If, if you don't believe me, ask my mother. Well, your mother, you know what your mother's going to say. Well, if you don't believe her, ask my cousin. Ask my brother. Ask my friend. Ask someone to verify the fact that I'm telling the truth. You know what Jesus said? He's telling the truth because his father sent him. And he is representing his father. He said, I am the truth. In John 8, verse 39, Jesus was again in another confrontation with, with the uh, Jews. And they answered and said unto him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said unto, him, unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth. Now, he's just not throwing that term truth around, just bantering with them. That word truth means a great deal. When I tell you something, you assume that it's the truth. But you also can be skeptical and cynical and maybe think maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about. Right? You should. We, we should be cynical and skeptical of one another. Because all men are liars. We, sometimes we do it deliberately, and sometimes we do it inadvertently. But Jesus never inadvertently told anything wrong. He was the truth. He always told the truth. And he said, uh, I've heard, he said, I, Jesus said, you seek me because I've told you the truth, what I've heard of God. He said, Abraham didn't act this way. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, we are not born of fornication. You know what they're saying? They're calling Jesus illegitimate. They're saying, we're not born of fornication. We don't have to believe you. You're illegitimate. That's exactly what they're saying. We have one father, they said, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me. But because I proceeded forth and came forth from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. When Jesus was standing before Pilate, who was the governor of Judea at that time, and the representative of Rome, the greatest, biggest representative in that area, 
and he was talking to him. Pilate said unto Jesus, Are you the king? Jesus answered, You said that I am the king. To this end was I born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. What Jesus was saying was, I tell the truth always. Now you can, therefore, do you believe that? Everything, everything that Jesus said is true. Everything that is written in the gospel is true. Now society wants to change things. Society wants to change doctrines. Society wants to change morals. Society wants to change ethics. But Jesus said, I am true. I am true. I believe everything in the New Testament because the gospel of Jesus Christ is his word. And his word is based upon his father and who he is. Hebrews 6 verse 18 19 says this. Something that we could never say. He, by, he, he promised something to us. He promised eternal life to us. And he promised it by two immutable things. In which, number one, it was impossible for God to lie. Wow. It's not impossible for you. It was not impossible for those of Jesus' day or of our society in our day. But it was impossible and is impossible for God to lie. And it's impossible for Jesus to lie. Okay. That's the second point. The third point was Jesus came to save this world. Now, we've gotten, in that, gotten into the notion that he came down here to change the world. Well, he came down here to change people in the world, but he did not come down to this earth to make the earth an Eden. He did not come down to, to uh, change governments. He did not come to make this a Christian nation or that a Christian nation or some other Christian nation. He didn't do that. The presence of Jesus in any place will improve it. So the presence of Jesus in our government and his will will improve it. But this world is not destined to be in Eden. This world is destined to die. And when it dies and it goes down in that flame of destruction, then we'll understand that what Jesus came to do was get us off this earth and get us in a safe, safe place so we don't go down with it. Now, do you believe that? That's what Jesus came to do. He said, I did not come to judge the world. I came to save the world. Now, saving the world does not mean change it back into an earthly kingdom. It means changing it and getting us out of it, putting us, I started to say, in the lifeboat, but I don't think where he's getting us in the lifeboat. I think he's getting us in the ship of Zion. He's getting us in the ship that will sail off into eternity, not in some little lifeboat that we have to struggle to stay in. We're here. We're here. We're in the safety of Jesus Christ. We're in the safety of our God. He came to save the world, and he described a life for us that brings happiness and contentment. If you come into the realm of the kingdom of God, baptized into Jesus Christ for remission of your sins, you confess the name of Jesus and you walk by faith, you'll have the best life you've ever even dreamed of having. It may be tough at times, but it's the best life that anyone can even imagine and dream of. 
He came to save the world. John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection. He didn't say, I come to make sure you don't die. He didn't say, I came to make sure you don't have a toothache. He didn't say, I came to make sure you didn't have gallbladder problems or that you didn't lose a limb or that you didn't have problems, physical problems in your life or that you didn't, you didn't have some difficulty meeting it, making men's eat, meet, making ends meet. He didn't say that. He said, I came to save you. I came to get you out of this place. I came to get you out of this problem. I came to save you. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead. Jesus said, you can die. Though you were dead, yet shall you live. I'll get you out of that problem. That's why he came. In return, he asked us to surrender our entire lives. To take up our cross and follow him. Now that's trust, isn't it? Now this fellow I was telling you about before just wanted my money and wanted your money. But you know what Jesus wants? Everything. He wants all you've got. Do you trust him with it? Do you trust him with your life? That's what he's asking for. He said, I came to save you. Luke chapter 4, verse 34, some, the demons didn't understand that. They, uh, they said, leave us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? You came to destroy us. I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Jesus didn't come to destroy anybody. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to make us well, to get us healthy. Son of Man came not to destroy men's life, but to save them. Luke nine fifty six, Matthew one twenty one. You shall call His name Jesus. He shall save His people. From their sins. If we don't believe that sin's going to take us down and destroy us, then we're not, we don't have any trust in Jesus. If we don't believe that, that's what sin does. It's going to corrupt us. It's going to deceive us. It's going to take us down and plant us in the dirt, and the dirt's going to burn up with us. But the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Matthew 18, 11. Luke 19.10. He'd come to seek and to save that which is lost. And you know what Paul said? He said, this is a faithful saying. It's a saying of, that involves faith. You believe that? You can believe that Jesus came, but you not, may not believe that He came to get you off this planet. To get you out of this world. But that's what He came to do. And that takes faith. Every step of every day that you take, you take in faith to God that you believe that your life now is going to be controlled by Jesus and everything that you have belongs to Him and He'll guide you and direct you in every decision you make. That's faith. That's faith. How much confidence does that take? Would you, uh, would you hand me your uh, wallet at the end of this service and uh, your, all your credit cards? No, Frank says I'm not about to. No, I don't blame you. I was going to say, I don't have one. So. No, no. Don't do I, well, I'll, I'll give you assurance. Bonnie will make sure that we spend it right. How's that? No, okay. You wouldn't do that. But you know what Jesus asked a young man to do one time? Wow. 
He asked him to do the very same thing I'm asking you to do. Very same thing. Matthew 19, the young man said, uh, what, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, keep the commandments. And the young man said, oh, I've done all that. And Jesus said unto him, if you will be perfect, go and sell what you have and give it to the poor. What a difference in Jesus and a televangelist, right? There's some preachers that are asking for big donations and big, big things. They need a bigger car. They need a bigger house. They need a bigger place to have their meetings and so forth. They need, they need big things. They can see big things. They see that big things cost big money. So give us some money. Jesus did not say, give me your money and follow me. You know what he said? Give your money to the poor. You know, the man did just like we did. We said, no, not going to do that. But he didn't say it to me. He said it to Jesus. And Jesus said to you, everything you have, give. Whatever you have, give it. Give it and come and follow me. Our faith in God is a saving faith. And it depends upon how much we truly trust him and his son. I believe, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe he is the son of God. I believe he represented everything that the Father was and is. I believe that. And I believe that everything he said is true. And as I read the New Testament, sometimes things jar me. And I read the Old Testament, sometimes jar me. But you know what? I believe that it's true. That what he said is true. Society tells me certain things. I have to turn a deaf ear to society and look at what Jesus said and said, Okay, Lord, I believe that society wants to change Change the nature of sin. Always has. Change our morals. Change our ethics. Change our concept of right and wrong. Jesus said, this is, Bill, this is right and this is wrong. I believe that. I believe everything Jesus said because he is truth. He's truth. And I believe that he actually can save me, give me eternal life, that I'm not going down with a ship. I'm going up as a shooting star with Jesus. And I hope that you believe the same thing. Let's stand together and sing our song of invitation.